This podcast features discussions around potentially triggering material, such as the alt-right, Nazis, misogyny, and trauma. Please consider if this is the right podcast for you to listen to. Also, a disclaimer. Please do not consider the contents of this podcast praxis for trying to address these problems. And also, don't try and address these problems if you're not in a good place to do so, or it would affect the safety of yourself or others. Thank you. You respond to the call at 5am, the same way most people would. Bleary-eyed swearing, general muzzy confusion and a deep sense of dread. You don't recognise the number calling. That's never a good sign. You debate for a few moments whether or not to answer it. Your thumb lingers over the no button. But then you decide if someone really is calling at 5 in the morning, it might be truly important. So you answer it. It's Robbie. He apologizes a lot. He doesn't sound too good. He sounds like someone coming out of a panic attack. You tell him to slow down, have a glass of water, breathe in and out a few times. He does so, and as he starts to recover, the two of you talk. He apologizes a lot. He knows he said and did some rude things at your table, and he's very sorry about it. He's sorry for each and every time he's offended you or others, and any time he hurt you. He would have kept going, except that you stop him and and ask him what's happening. He tells you that he'd found his way into a group of very bad people, but hadn't known it at the time, or at least didn't want to realize it. They kept telling him that everything that was wrong in his life was because of minorities, homosexuals, or trans people. And for a while, he tells you, he believed it. They gave him somewhere he could safely vent his problems out and tell him he was right to be angry. He also spent some time telling you about them too. These aren't good guys, he tells you. He tells you he's scared. He's scared because they know his name, where he lives, who he likes to hang out with, everything. He's also scared because they have guns and spoke about how they wanted a reason to use them. He goes on for a long time, and you give him space to talk about it. It sounds like he needs it, pretty badly too. After a while though, you ask him, So, what are you going to do? He tells you he's leaving town, right now. He's in fact getting himself together to get on a bus. He declines to tell you where. He's going to change his name, delete all his socials, everything. He tells you, though, he thinks he'll be okay. He'll contact you when he can and try to stay in touch by email or something. You tell him to do exactly that. You also let him know you're still his friend, regardless of all this, 
and that you'll try to get him to an online table if he feels comfortable doing so. He thanks you and hangs up. A few weeks later, you get an email from someone named Derek. He's happier now and, and doing okay. You chat for a while, see how he's going. He tells you he found a new table, and there are some good folk there. They're kind, accepting. He tells you that you'd really like them. He also tells you he's been working out, trying new foods, trying to be healthier. He's also looking forward to the next session of your online game. You tell him you're proud of him, and he should be proud of himself too. He tells you he is. Wow, so uh, we got to the end of this, um, and I have to say this has been a tough one. Um, a lot of the subject matter was things I've been thinking about for a long time. Putting them down in this format was uh, something I felt I had to do. Um, again, a really big thanks to all my friends who helped me with this. Uh, Jess, Peter, Connor, Garrison, Dame, Ethan, Tyler, Cameron, and Jacob. You're all very good friends who helped me get this done. Um, and again, as, as tedious as it may have gotten by now, I do want to say thank you for listening. Um, please check out our actual play also. It's, it's a lot of fun, even though um, unfortunately it stopped. Uh, and yet this is late for the same reasons. Uh, life got on top of me, and um, unfortunately... I mean, look, I'm okay. I'm okay. Just a lot of changes. Nice ones, though. Just more time intense. My research and discussions with people in the de-radicalization field are actually quite positive more than I'd originally hoped for. A quick read of a few papers, which you can find in the show notes, argue that de-radicalization programs do indeed work as intended, though the results can be hard to quantify. One of the papers I read pointed out that while de-radicalization is possible, a large part of the struggle comes down to the stigmatization of having belonged to such a group. I don't think it's hard to understand why. As I've said before, I don't want to give anyone that was part of a group like that a free pass on all their behavior, but it's important that we encourage people when we see them try to improve their behavior. I also have a slight personal thing in this. Um, I am what could be potentially described as an exvangelical. Um, I don't talk about my own religious status a lot because it's quite personal and it's me thing. Um, but yeah, I, I know what it's like to kind of have this a stigma, even if it's a small one. Um, so a large one would be really terrible. As we've discussed previously, though, one of the most common reasons people join either covert or overt violent organizations is due to a lack of control in certain aspects of their life, which I think makes groups like these far more understandable, not excusable, understandable. My own studies in this field certainly did point out that people would often join groups such as these due to the fact that they felt their situation where they lived was hopeless. They'd tried living the best as they could, but it wasn't good enough. An example I want to give was that of farmers in Afghanistan. Many of them wanted to grow food crops, but uh, the problem was that growing poppies was, if I recall the details correctly, almost five times more profitable than any other crop, despite the fact that it was illegal. They would also often send their sons or other male relatives out to fight alongside Taliban fighters. The reasons for this were very simple. They were very heavily influenced, not by only wanting the best economic outcome for them and their families, 
but often US or other coalition forces were not influential enough in their local areas to maintain a presence long enough to act as a deterrent against the inevitable threats of violence the, tab the Taliban would use to get food, medical supplies, and other forms of support. And so, yes, they would sell the basis of an illegal narcotic or fight alongside a group of very bad people. You also need to take into account the sheer amount of collateral damage done by the aforementioned URS and other forces, and honestly, I can start to understand why anyone would join a group like that, as much as I don't agree with them. Uh, I want to point out this comes from a wonderful book called uh, The Accidental Gorilla. It's a really good book. I had to read it for uni. Now, the leap from a farmer in Afghanistan to an angry, lonely white guy in what is described as the Western world is very different. Uh, but as we've discussed, people can feel marginalized pretty well in any circumstance, particularly modern ones. A lot of this is due to the realities of modern life. We tend to live much faster and much less communally than we did before. And this is probably not a normal thing for much of humanity. Or at least it's a very modern thing that goes against what our norm has been for a long time. Now, before I turn into a cliche of way too many middle-aged white guys trying to tell everyone that their childhoods were the golden age, everyone should hope for, I want to say that I'm not about to advocate that we burn all our devices and go back to living in caves. The main work I'm citing here is A Paradise Built in Hell, where Rebecca Solnit makes an argument that too many private interests have used their pursuit of capital to influence our behavior away from collective action. I'm inclined to believe this as I believe a lack of community connection is going to be detrimental to the emotional health of any species, especially people. I also think that we try to cover for this lack on a societal level. Consider that many workplaces now offer more and more facilities to their employees to keep them engaged with the company. Again, don't get me wrong. I don't believe they necessarily do this from a sense of altruism or a desire to make sure their workers are happy. I think that there are certainly practices undertaken to keep us in the office and producing rather than being at home and being human. So if I had to attach uh, to the end of this a point like to hammer home what I'm getting at, it would be this. We all of us have a responsibility to build or be part of communities that are good. It doesn't have to be as divisive as, say, joining a group of people that are aligned with you politically. It means join a community garden, a walking group, something where you are doing something consistently with people that benefits them and you, if possible and preferably face-to-face. -face. I also realized that at the time of writing, we're currently locked down here in Sydney. So yeah, do what you can when you can. Um, I'm also kind of citing a lot of uh, Robert Evans' recent work with his uh, It Could Happen Here, where he discusses mutual aid and community development as really the absolute antidote for so many things that the right is trying to do. A friend of mine on Twitter, Tigranosaurus, told me the following story. His family were German Jews, and uh, like many German Jews, suffered badly in the lead-up to the events of World War II. After the war, they made the choice to return to where they had lived, to rebuild and uh, live their lives. 
I want to quickly interject here and say that I absolutely respect their choice to do so. It must have been amazingly difficult, like I am not able to imagine. They and some of their neighbours had to live among each other. The Germans and their Jewish neighbours. According to my friend, their reasoning was more along the lines of, we're not locked in here with them. They are locked in here with us. We are living witnesses to who they were and what they did. They also had a perspective, which was that most people weren't truly to blame for the whole thing. Most of them could step back from the darkness they'd walked into. But some, the officers in particular, they needed to be hanged. This story illustrates a lot of things. Uh, primarily that some people have a level of intestinal fortitude and courage that I know I sorely lack and will never have. But it also shows a belief in humanity that we need to focus on. Before I go on, I want to stress that again. I don't believe in handing out free passes to people who join these groups. But I'm very much of the thought that when I wrong someone, I owe them an apology. They don't owe me forgiveness. What I want to focus on, though, is the wisdom shown by my friend's family members. The understanding that people need to be held accountable for their actions and deeds, but the hope that by doing so, we can help them change and grow into better people, and through this, have healthier communities. But also, that having a healthy community involves removing from the community people that seek to damage it. To bring this back to the table... What I'm getting at is that we need to have tables that are open to take on people that need a place where they can be. We need to be flexible enough to say there is content we're not going to engage with and lines that we're going to enforce, but also that we're going to be ready to change how our tables work to accommodate those that need greater accessibility. After all, minor rules changing here and there has never led to Chris Perkins kicking my door down to tell me I'm playing wrong. Unfortunately, I mean... Guy seems like a pretty cool guy. And all of this has to come down with an off-the-table culture also. A culture where we enforce kindness, but not through fear and vengeance, but with understanding and grace and giving people room to be human, fallible, complex, and nuanced. But with that culture of kindness, we have to be ready to exclude people who have clearly bad intentions. People like Varg, a convicted murderer and neo-Nazi, who has tried to spread his beliefs in the community. People like Ernie Gygax, whose goal is to rebuild the old school of gaming by encouraging gatekeeping of the hobby, as well as dismissing the validity of way too many minority groups. These people are not acting in good faith and need to be kept out. The final thing I want to discuss um, is I asked some friends of mine, um, the people that have recorded with me, and a few others to tell me what in our community makes them hopeful. Um, I wanted to discuss first, though, what makes me hopeful. Um, and this is maybe very personal. Uh, and if you decide to stop listening to anything I say and unfollow me, I completely understand. I am, as I described myself earlier, an evangelical. Now, I'm still a Christian. I believe in the message of Christianity, which is that love. Um, I believe the person of Jesus Christ existed. Uh, we certainly have a lot of historical evidence saying so. And I believe he meant what he said. 
What gives me hope is that I can be someone who came from an, an evangelical background in a lot of ways. Not from my parents. I did this on my own. It was my fault. And having really good, wonderful social exposure to people who are in the LGBTQIAS plus community, um, really good friends, really helped me to grow as a human being. I understand that a lot of my former beliefs, perspectives, a lot of my other stuff was really not okay. Um, there was definitely some homophobia, some transphobia. Um, and I don't want to say that I'm perfect. I don't want to say that I don't have still some of these biases. But what I do want to say is that by connecting with some truly beautiful people, this has really helped me grow beyond where I was. And um, yeah, look, I understand if that's not okay by you. Um, I've included now the recordings of other hope messages from people in the community. Hi, my name is Katie Downey, AKA Goblin Katie, and I am a TTRPG player, game master, streamer, podcaster, and a variety streamer. I appear on the Dungeons and Dragons streams D4 and Dawnbringers, as well as the Stellar Arcanum podcast. I'm also the executive manager for Jasper's Game Day and a Take This Ambassador. The way the community celebrates and supports one another gives me a lot of hope. I see things like people asking about one another's games or giving prompts to help develop characters or even just little messages of affirmation on Twitter, and it makes my heart just swell. I love the way people uplift one another professionally and personally. From the creators to the consumers, the TTRPG community has a wonderful way of singing the praises of one another. There is a lot that happens in the world that can bring you down really quickly, but checking out the Twitter or TikTok feeds of folks in the community never fails to put a smile on my face. If I had to pick something that I would love to see more of, it would be a call for more inclusivity. You look at topics like race and backgrounds to neurodivergence and physical disabilities, and you can see a shift is taking place where the companies and players are acknowledging the need for more diversity in the content of our games and the tables that play them. People are interested in seeing more than the traditional settings and lore that games previously explored. They want the depth that comes from a spectrum of experiences. The way people in the TTRPG community take up for representation in their games makes me feel really good about the community's desire to see positive change. The community shapes the direction of the industry. So when we do see change, it's seldom immediate or even as fast as we'd like to see, but our push for seeing people of all types and experience at the table is a really beautiful thing. And I would love to see it continue and spread even further. One of the biggest things that makes me really hopeful about the tabletop community in general is how diverse it's becoming and that it seems to continue to be trending that way. A lot of the gatekeeping, wow, a lot of the gatekeeping that I and I think a lot of people in my generation, my gender, my sexuality struggled with to get into this community is lessening. I know uh, Wizards did a player community survey a while back and I think 40% of the players are age 24 and younger, 
which is pretty awesome. And 40% or so were um, either female or non-binary. And they said that number seems to be growing. And I know that's just Dungeons and Dragons. But apart from that, you can look at the indie community, which, or even streaming, which used to be entirely dominated by at least people who presented as white cishet men and occasionally there would be a token woman or a token black person but it was very white very male faces and now that's not the case there are streams like the motherlands that are entirely composed of people of color and they're not the only ones i really should have put a list together i'll add that uh but yeah, and there are streams like the one that I run, Threeflings, that are entirely composed of people of marginalized genders and sexualities. And the face of the games are changing. The people who are creating them behind the scenes are changing. And I think the more people we can get at the table, the more people we can get creating the games, the more welcoming of a place it's going to be. So that gives me hope. Adding on, because I couldn't think of it, uh, I meant to say Inch the Motherlands, Rivals of Waterdeep, and the entire existence of the channel Hutopia, which is all people of color running actual play groups, uh, running actual plays of games, which is super cool. And that's obviously not all. There's so much more. So I'm, I'm just really excited. All right, this is Jess. Bye. So what I am really excited about and really hopeful about is that the stigma around uh, gaming and RPGs is being reduced. Because for a long time, there, there was such a, such a stigma. And a lot of people will kind of weaponize their history of being bullied because of their interest to gatekeep. But now that that stigma is going away, that sort of history of being isolated because of this is being uh, reduced in a lot of ways, and it's opening some new conversations. Uh, now that video games and RPGs and stuff are more normalized, people can kind of think of it not in a way where they're thinking, okay, this is something that's going to get me beaten up and called a freak, but instead, how can I use this to help others? And we are seeing this real rise in uh, people using geek culture to be kind to others and to help others. We're seeing, you know, therapists using RPGs. We're seeing teachers doing like Minecraft stuff. We're seeing social workers doing comic projects. So we're, we're seeing this rise in these normalized geeky interests being used as a vessel for good. And that just makes me so excited and so hopeful about the future. There are so many things inside this community that I find so reassuring that give me hope. 
about the future of gamers and society in general. Um, one thing that does this for me is I see that the general trend um, in our gaming spaces uh, moved, is moving towards sensitivity and equity. Um, people are stopping to listen to each other, to acknowledge different perspectives, um, to understand how their actions might impact others uh, for good or for ill, and then taking accountability for that. Accountability for your actions is, is the bedrock of any functional society. Um, and so seeing this gives me hope. Uh, seeing more equity in our spaces, more diversity of thought and experience um, is powerful. Um, I'm seeing this a lot from, uh, particularly from younger generations that are becoming in, more involved in the community. Uh, we're not where we need to be yet, um, not by a long shot. Uh, I always say um, that I'll know where, where we're, that I know that we're at where we need to be when I can look at an event, a public event, and when I look down at the faces, um, see a cross-section, uh, a true cross-section of our society. It's getting better, and that gives me hope. Um, it also gives me ideas of ways to make it better, uh, creating truly inclusive spaces um, so that the people that aren't currently sitting at our tables, that they feel like they can. No, I'm not talking about bigots. Um, I'm talking about people from marginalized communities who may have in the past not felt safe or welcome. This gives me hope. Um, this gives me hope. Uh, that the community that we're creating and, and leaving for our children, um, that it's going to be a community where they feel safe and valued um, because they deserve that. Everybody deserves that. Hey y'all, uh, this is Sean Banerjee, um, one of two hosts for Sip Happens a nerdy tea review and chat show. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. I am a uh, TTRPG designer and editor and producer, um, as well as uh, event organizer and business person. <laughs> uh, but with me is the inestimable and absolutely uh, excellent to work with, uh, Jamie Flecknow. Hello, I am Jamie, also known as Rosie across the interwebs. Um, I've never heard that before. <laughs> uh, yep. And I am a TTRPG writer and editor. I also run my own small business I'm using D&D to help teens with social skill development. And I think that's it right now. I wonder like, if we should have like... She, her. If, she, her. Yeah, um, that's Those good. are important. They are. 
I wonder if we should have like acted like Josh threw to us. Right. Like, oh, hey, Josh, thanks. <laughs> this is Sean and Jamie out in the field. Um, no, <laughs> Uh, Josh reached out to us um, to record a little bit about what we what we um, what gives us hope in the GTRPG community, and I think that inherent in that question is talking maybe a little bit about what we see as concerns in that in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot that people can't see us, so me nodding is no yeah, one's going to yeah, you understand actually, that. I have to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm also like posing for the camera, like mm, <laughs> yes, this is my active listening face. Um, Josh, why don't you get some cameras, man? I'm looking at the camera now, like like you can see me. Um, it's all good. It's all good. I think so. I love being part of this community. Um, uh, I've I've fully embraced my nerdy side uh, as an adult, and uh, the by and large the um, level of acceptance and um, welcoming atmosphere that the my friends in this community, uh, the people who have become my friends, who have become my found family, uh, have given me in the last few years of joining has been absolutely amazing. Um, what about you, Jamie? What do you like about being in the... Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's kind of about time. Embrace the nerd and um, kind of jump all in with both feet and all that good stuff. Um, and I really appreciate, you know, how people who I've met along the way have been willing to like go out on a limb for me to get me included. So not only am I playing games or whatever, but someone like you who I met through happenstance and randomness, we started a tea show together. And through that, we've interviewed some really cool people and I've gotten, you know, writing gigs out of it. I've had opportunities to play on, um, you know, in community and charity games and things like that. So you know, it's been really wonderful to kind of just be embraced that way by a community of nerds. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, there were there were people, I, I've mentioned them a million times, and I'll keep mentioning them, like uh, Paige Lightman and Ben Heisler, who, who kind of like s- scooped me up and put me under their wing and then um, gave me a shot at my first editing gigs. And that kind of catapulted me into this like, career um that i found myself in which is which is just uh mesmerizing to say (laughs) but yeah um there are certainly things that that concern me in the community though right um i think that there's there's an old guard um so to speak in the community that is sometimes um difficult to please difficult to navigate yeah um but for me, I love, I love how connected we are and I love how, um, what gives me hope, right? I'll restate the question. Of my <laughs> what, what gives me hope? Such a is, good English, ma- like that's like a good English major, like skill set. I like, I was yeah. A, I was not. I know you weren't, but I mean, like we used to get our essays, were. we used to get our you essays were. and you had to restate them. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to take up some words. Um, what gives me hope is the people I see day in and day out tanking the difficult conversations who are not afraid to, to piss off the establishment or piss off like people who can really like close a lot of doors for you mm-hmm. because of what is right. And what yeah. is, um, what's the acceptable tradition? <laughs> yeah. None of those. Yeah. What is, no, no, no. What is acceptable? Like, 
they they call out um, they call out the problems as I see it. Yeah. And even if that's just like, well, but this is how we've always done it, or that's the established lore, or why would we hire a person of color? Like, you know, those 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 nitty gritty like gray areas. Right. <laughs> For those of you that can't see me, I am a person of color. <laughs> but yeah. I wonder that uh, every day. No, I'm just kidding. I also... Why would we? Why would I do that? <laughs> nope. Love you. Um, I also I also love the kind of tagging onto that, Sean, this idea of, um, like you said, those people who are out challenging, um, just how open-minded they are. Like, people who I've worked who I've been fortunate enough to work for or whatever, or even know how hard they push for making sure our characters are diverse, uh, making sure there's representation in the NPCs, making sure that there are, um, you know, folks reading through this sensitivity readers to make sure that, you know, we're hitting the mark. We're not just, you know, bringing anyone into the game, um, you know, through our writing that doesn't properly display the best of whoever they're meant to represent or whatever, you know, um, they're, they're meant to represent, which, which is beautiful because that's so important to make the tables feel welcome. Like when you're getting ready to play, you want everyone at your table to feel like they belong there because they do. I agree. I agree completely. Um, yeah, I think I think the people that I get to work with day in and day out is what gives me hope. Yeah. Uh, and on the days that I can't, that I just don't have the spoons, I don't have the energy to like to pick up that shield and go to the front line. I know that um, there 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 are people who are gonna um, be there to fill the gap and be there at my side when I get back when I get back up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're I think we're seeing this new wave and it's not necessarily just younger folks. I think there are plenty of people who've been playing D&D since its early existence who are also aware that the game needs, you know, to be updated to, to catch up with the times. Um, but that, you know, there is this awareness that like the game isn't, the game hasn't been made for everybody. And I think we've talked about this even on Sip Happens. Um, and it is that, well, you know what, the people who are in charge, who are writing those hardcover books that get sold and in game stores across the, the world, they're not necessarily doing the job they need to do, whether it's bureaucracy that's preventing the, the smaller people on the totem pole from being able to get up there or whatever the case is. And we've just started creating our own game. We've made it the way we yeah. want it to be, which is great. Yeah, um, there's, there's a strong contingent of people who just got tired of waiting around for someone to give them permission, and they just took permission and started doing it themselves, and I love that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it is certainly a systemic problem. I, like, I don't, there's nobody specifically that I think at any of the bigger companies that I would, I would be like, this is a problem. Like, they are the one that is institutionalizing racism. But um, I think we have a long way to go, right? Oh, I yeah. think that people of color... Um, people from underrepresented uh, populations in leadership positions in the TTRPG uh, world are still far fewer and far farther between than farther apart than, than they should be. Too sparse. There's not enough of them. Yeah, there's not <laughs> enough of us. Uh, including, including you, right? Like you're not, 
Yeah, I mean, I identify. <laughs> I'm not what. <laughs> You're, I don't know, not a straight white man. <laughs> I am not. That is yeah, true. I am. Um, I am a bisexual female, so person. So yay. Female. It's such a weird word, like woman. I don't know. I don't. I've no, anyways, that's not a conversation for this particular thing. But yeah, yeah um, we can we can derail something else later. Um, but yeah, no, I I agree. I think. Uh, they're starting to be aware that they need more writers who are diverse and they've reached out and tried that, but you know, you got to get your editing, your editing team also has to match the same level of your yeah. uh, writing team or else it doesn't necessarily matter what your writers wrote if you're going to edit it out, but that's fine. Um, but that's why, you know, we exist and we write our own stuff on the side and market it and sell it and have fun with it. It also gives me hope to see that, you know, there are steps being taken. Yeah. Maybe not in every company, maybe not in every organization, but um, there's plenty of, of industries out there that don't take any steps yeah. right? or have to be oh, yeah. dragged tooth and nail. Yeah. Um, and our industry at least seems to want to, um, seems to want to change, I well, think by and large. I think that they're starting to become this awareness. So like, again, being a little bit younger and also being late to the nerd game, um, mm -hmm. air quotes on the word late there, uh, for those who, can't, who aren't watching the video that I'm like recording hear, right I now. Like yeah. Um, you know, uh, it seemed like D&D &D was originally for like, you know, nerds in a basement. Like that's what, you know, you mm -hmm. thought of like, but over the years, especially recently, so many of us have found D&D to be this safe space where we can express our sexuality or, or explore it, where we can work through our social skill issues and, and, and practice trying to be uh, a leader if we're not comfortable with that or somebody who sits back, uh, you know, a good GM might try and introduce, you know, race and political stuff to their game so that their players can explore how difficult but how necessary it is to kind of expand what we know and i think we're really fortunate that that people are starting to see that that is what this space is becoming and like uh you know it was a step it with with um uh, Tasha's to get to do away with the ability scores for races and just letting you mm -hmm. add two and then one for D&D um, to your stats, which is great because if you want to make a really smart orc, great. There is no reason they have to be one particular way or whatever the case is. So I think that they're starting to have this awareness that there are lots of people who are just exploring who they are or who they want to be or a system that might not work and how they can change it through rpgs so that's really awesome i love that i i do too and also like uh my my number one rule of design has always been games should be fun yeah um and fun takes a lot of different forms for a lot of different people but at the end of the day if there's something in the material like baked in that that takes you out of that fun then it shouldn't be there right um so I like that we're making uh, making moves in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> they can't see us dancing. <laughs> Suckers. <laughs> um, um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for think, sharing with me, Sean. Thank you for sharing with me, Jamie Rosie. <laughs> and hopefully, Josh, this is what you wanted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and if it isn't, then it probably didn't make a cut. <laughs>
<laughs> well, yeah, uh, we we are we're out here in the world, um, and uh, we I don't know. Come come find us, I guess, and we'll we'll hang out and we'll talk about things and yeah, we'll drink some tea. Yeah, we do. We we drink tea and chat about nerd stuff on Wednesdays and in the afternoons ish, and uh, we. We're really excited about what we can do. I'm excited. I'm not going to speak for you, but I know I'm excited about the influence and impact that I can make and have made in my little little D and D sphere. I, you can speak for me in this case. I am also excited about the same thing. Cool. So, thanks all for Thank you. for listening. Yeah. Back to you in the studio, Josh. My name's Josh, and on Twitter I go by NerdyPeopleDMD. You can catch me there and uh, listen to the um, other podcast stuff that I do. Uh, an actual play with Curse of Strahd, but he's a railway baron, and Better Homes and Dungeons, which I've neglected for the last couple of months to work on this. Um, please take care of yourself uh, and those around you. Thank you.